Hi, this is Sally and welcome to Reclaiming Pride, Survivors of Narcissistic Abuse. This episode is dedicated to my mum, who passed away in 2020. This would have been her birthday month, and even though she never lived to see me break free from the abusive relationship she knew I was in, I know she is watching all of this unfold and smiling. So before we start, there is a trigger warning. The episodes of this podcast may sometimes refer to domestic violence, emotional, financial, and sexual abuse. To begin today, I'd like us to have a one-word feelings check. So what is that? Well, it's literally what it says it is on the tin. It's one word for how you are feeling in this moment. Not how someone connected to you is feeling. Not how you are making others feel. But how are you feeling in this moment? And what's one word for that? This week, we're going to look at the messages that we may have had from childhood that can lead us to being vulnerable to narcissistic relationships. So if you've already heard episode one of this podcast, you will have heard me tell something of my own origin story, which contained violence, addiction, depression, self-harm, abandonment, both physical and emotional. We're going to start by looking at something called the cycle of inherited trauma. In case you haven't heard of inherited trauma, what is this? It's usually how a lack of emotional presence from parents or guardians, a lack of boundaries, from those adults in your life when you were a child, if the adults around you that were taking care of you were battling addiction, those sorts of things. These can leave you much more vulnerable to narcissists. So what are some of the symptoms of inherited trauma? Think about some of these and see if any of them ring true for you. Anxiety, depression, chronic pain, substance abuse disorders. This can mean anything from drinking inordinate amounts of Coca-Cola or Red Bull a day to smoking cigarettes to doing anything really on a repetitive basis that harms your body or your mental state. Eating disorders, post-traumatic stress disorder or PTSD and complex post-traumatic stress disorder or CPTSD. So CPTSD differs from PTSD in that its sources may come from various places, not just one incident or one kind of series of events in your life that are all linked. You could have insomnia and or low self-esteem as well. So research on something called intergenerational trauma, which is even deeper, has also shown startling results. So intergenerational trauma is believed to pass from one generation to the next through genetic changes in a person's DNA after they experience trauma. There is some evidence, believe it or not, to suggest that these genetic markers are passed on to someone's offspring. So for example, I know that my mom experienced a lot of trauma in her childhood, and therefore those genetic markers, as well as the behaviours that she exhibited and the maladaptive coping mechanisms that she had later in life, obviously affected me and those around her who cared and loved her. Also, the actual trauma itself had caused shifts inside her body that she may have passed on to me. This whole field of study, um, as you can probably imagine, is still quite young. And if you're interested in it, it's called epigenetics. So epigenetics is the study of how your behaviours and environment can cause changes that affect the way your genes work. So unlike genetic changes, epigenetic changes are reversible and they don't change your DNA sequence, but they can change how your body reads the DNA sequence. And I think they're still looking into what can happen when that occurs. So let's rewind a little bit because that was a lot of information, wasn't it? So we've got intergenerational trauma. We've got the cycle of inherited trauma. And we've also got this whole field of study called 
epigenetics that's kind of looking at how trauma is passed on generationally from one person to the next. So think about those things. And like I said, if you're interested in that, just have a Google, just look up epigenetics and and kind of, you know, you can go down that rabbit hole very easily, believe me, I have. So I want to just go back as well to something that I'd mentioned in an earlier episode, which was the book by Dr. Claudia Black, This Will Never Happen to Me. And I highly recommend this book because it talks about all kinds of things from almost the epigenetics um, of how you can be vulnerable to toxic relationships. It also talks about the cycle of abuse. It talks fundamentally, though, about the absolute devastation and demoralization of the realization that you are in a situation a hair's breadth away from what you may have grown up in. You know, I remember watching the violence at home when I was a kid and thinking, no one is ever going to put their hands on me. And of course, what situation did I find myself in? So this this can all tie into the cycle of inherited trauma. So I, I highly recommend that book, It Will Never Happen to Me by Dr. Claudia Black. So being as it's my mum's birthday month, I wanted to share something with you that, that actually happened a few years ago um, with us. So I would fly over to England every year for Christmas to go and spend it with my mum. And one year we were sitting in her living room and we were watching the TV and she seemingly randomly just turned to me and said, I'm sorry about how I was when you were a child. I was a right bastard to you. I think this is why you have trouble with with relationships. I think this is why you chose your ex. I think this is why you sometimes choose the wrong people. I downplayed it, of course. I I used to hate the way she would beat herself up. Um, She was someone who was completely battered by life as it was, but had always kind of risen victorious. And we talked about my childhood a lot. And we talked about the fact that she'd done the best with what she had and the coping mechanisms that nobody had ever helped her with. Um, You know, she'd fought back alcoholism. She had 15 years sober by the time she passed away and all kinds of things in her life that she had battled. Demons that, you know, kind of preceded me, you know, and we talked about that a lot. And so I would downplay it. However, I felt so thankful in that moment for her acknowledgement. You know why? Because I know how lucky I was to receive that from her. And I did receive it. I received it because I knew she needed me to, and I knew I needed to as well. And I'm still working on receiving that, even after she's passed away. I know that some people never get that. Some people never get that acknowledgement. And I I just want to say that I do know how lucky I am to have had that moment with her. Childhood trauma can have a significant impact on our emotional and psychologically psychological development. It can potentially influence the way we form and maintain relationships throughout our lives. So while not all people who experience childhood trauma will end up in a narcissistic or toxic relationship, there are several ways in which our childhood trauma might contribute to, to us ending up that way or ending up in a toxic dynamic. So what I want to touch upon are eight key ways in which this might happen. See if any of these resonate with you. So the first one, so number one, is attachment issues. So childhood trauma can disrupt the development of secure attachment styles. So children who experience neglect, that could be physical, emotional, intellectual neglect, abuse, or inconsistent caregiving may struggle to form healthy emotional bonds. So as a result, we might seek out relationships that mirror our early experiences, even if those relationships are unhealthy or narcissistic. So please note, this 
is not a conscious decision. Okay. I remember, so when I worked in New York, I remember a colleague of mine at the time, who's actually since become a doctor of family therapy, saying to me that part of me keeps coming back, keeps coming back to that relationship, keeps coming back to that dynamic and is not cutting it off yet. So what is that part of me? What does that part of me want? And I felt kind of angry with her in that moment. But you know what? Also part of me knew that she was right. So I started asking myself that, wow, what part of me almost needs this? What's going on? That was something that it took me years to to kind of admit to. And, And it was never a conscious choice on my part. Why would you consciously put yourself in a toxic relationship or continue to put yourself in toxic situations with it, with an individual. However, this attachment issue that we're talking about right here is something that contributed to that. It's something that definitely contributed to me staying as long as I did, 13 years. The second one, so number two, is low self-esteem. So I talked about this a bit in episode one of this podcast as well. So our childhood trauma can undermine our sense of self-worth. We might grow up feeling unworthy of love and attention. Narcissistic partners might appear charming and attentive initially. So this is what we call the love bombing stage. So we're going to have a whole episode on that as well. The kind of initial sparkly, wonderful way that they are with you or maybe with you. But over time, they'll manipulate and criticize you, further eroding your self-esteem. So for example, ask yourself these questions. Have you ever cried when someone said they love you? and you couldn't quite work out why you were crying. Wasn't necessarily for happiness either. Do you find it hard to accept praise? When something good happens to you, are you always waiting for that other shoe to drop? All of these are a result of low self-esteem and past trauma. So all of these are a result of having your self-esteem eroded even at a young age, so that it, it took less importance because it didn't seem important to anyone else around you. So why would you value it? Because children as we all know, are sponges and we mirror. So if all we have to mirror is anger or sadness or self-harm, then, you know, we do emerge as mostly as incredibly strong people. However, those scars are still there and they usually are attached to our low self-esteem. The third one is familiarity with dysfunction. When we grow up in a household marked by dysfunction, abuse, narcissistic behavior even, or addiction, violence, we may come to start perceiving these behaviors as normalized. Even though we know in our logical brain that they are not normal, we may be willing to put up with them from somebody else to a much, much higher level than someone who had not had these dysfunctional experiences in childhood. Consequently, we may gravitate towards narcissistic relationships because they're familiar with the power dynamics that they have, with the emotional roller coasters involved. It takes a while to admit this one. It really, really does. Once you see it, you cannot unsee it though, everyone. You cannot. Um, and that, should you choose to accept it, is the beginning of your healing journey. So the fourth one is seeking validation. So how many of you, just like me, are constantly having to check yourself because you are going to wreck yourself with seeking that validation from other people constantly? So people who've experienced childhood trauma might develop a strong desire for validation and approval from others. There's nothing wrong. Let me just say, there's nothing wrong with wanting other people's approval. However, golden rule here, it should never take the place of your own sense of validation and self-worth. Narcissistic partners 
often shower their partners with attention and affection at the beginning of the relationship, which can be incredibly appealing to someone seeking validation. You see how that works? I remember my ex would act like she was discovering aspects of me that I had neglected. I remember when we first met, she used to carry a camera around and now I could even analyze that. She just was trying to record other people's emotions because narcissistic folks, people with NPD, narcissistic personality disorder, are often kind of sucking the emotions out of other people, kind of like a dementor. If you've ever seen Harry Potter, that's what they do, um, just so that they can feel something because they, they have this massive void inside that will never be filled by their own awful kind of crippling self-hatred that they're often wanting to kind of project that onto others and often wanting others to feel so that they can feel. So she would take these all of these pictures of me um, and she called, She had this whole folder on her computer called Finding Sally. And she would take pictures of me when I was being pensive or having a private moment. It was quite intrusive, actually. Or she would take, you know, pictures of me after we'd had an argument or something like that. Like, look, see how you're growing. And she had this, yeah, she had this whole folder called Finding Sally, where she would kind of say, oh, you know, you're this person, not that person who you think you are, you know, and I'm discovering you. That's also a control play as well. So the fifth one is boundary issues. Childhood trauma can disrupt the development of healthy boundaries, as we all know. So people who haven't learned to establish and maintain personal boundaries, we might struggle to recognize and defend ourselves against manipulative tactics of someone who is a narcissist. Money, sex, time, feelings, how you look, how you smell, the way you speak, how you have your hair, all of these are up for, up for debate with a narcissistic partner. If you saw me, if you had a picture of me now, which you can on the cover of this podcast, but if you saw me seven years ago, you would think I was a completely different person, completely different looking, because I was trying to adhere to all of the strict rules that she had for me about the way I should look. Number six is codependency. Childhood trauma can lead to the development of codependent behaviors. A person might believe that their worth is contingent on meeting the needs of others. Have you ever felt like you had to bend yourself into a pretzel for that partner, that narcissistic partner who just keeps moving the goalposts, as we say in England? In other words, nothing you do is ever good enough. That's kind of the mantra, really, that you end up living with. Nothing I do is ever good enough. Narcissists often exploit this dynamic, this codependent dynamic. They'll also punish you for being codependent. They will be demanding constant attention and validation from you when they don't get it in the way that they feel that they should be getting it, they will punish you. So for example, um, I remember her cooking something and I remember because I just, I was, I, it was lovely. It was really, really nice. And I, you know, I reacted, I think in a pretty normal standard way. And I was quite excited that she'd done it. And I was very happy and told her. So this was nowhere near enough for her. It led to her throwing things. It led to dents in the wall in her apartment in Queens. It led to a week of stonewalling silence where I just went back to my apartment in Brooklyn and we didn't speak for a week. She completely cut me off. This is, you know, this, this kind of demanding constant attention. And what, what it is, is they lean on your codependency because they know that that will get them the attention that they want because you are craving the validation and attention from them that's being codependent and they want that they want that because they want to control you so number seven is emotional regulation so childhood trauma can impact emotional regulation which can lead to difficulties in managing and expressing our emotions so narcissistic partners might use this vulnerability to manipulate 
and control us, promising validation and love in exchange for compliance. So it's kind of a mixture of boundary issues. Also, the fact that we have had to squash our feelings so many times from a very young and impressionable age. So don't forget that at a young age, you're forming neural pathways. In other words, habits, neural pathways are habits. And if those habits are all formed around dysfunction, if those habits are all formed around walking on eggshells around an alcoholic parent or a drug addicted parent or an angry parent or a narcissistic parent, then they're going to form. And if if those cycles are not broken, they will be carried forward into your adult life and affect our ability to emotionally regulate because we are oftentimes not in touch with our own feelings, much more in touch with other people's. That's why I asked us to do a one word feelings check at the beginning of this podcast. That is a very simple and fundamental form of emotional regulation. The last one is number eight, fear of abandonment. Individuals who've experienced abandonment or neglect in our childhood might have an intense fear of being alone. So narcissistic partners exploit this fear by alternating between affection and withdrawal, creating a cycle of dependency. This is often called the push-pull, and it often happens also in relationships with people with borderline personality disorder. That's one of the huge cardinal traits of those relationships with BPD individuals. And you'll remember from the first episode, that Venn diagram. So this is a crucial place, this fear of abandonment, where BPD and NPD crossover. The narcissist will completely take advantage of your fear of abandonment. The huge irony is that one of the narcissist's cardinal fears is also fear of abandonment. So what they'll do is they'll project that onto you and make you feel that way and and keep you coming back with promises of validation, promises of love, promises of whatever it is that, that they perceive it is that you need. Listeners, it's important to know that while childhood trauma can contribute to these dynamics, it is not the sole determinant, all right? So our personal resilience, our self-awareness, therapy, supportive relationships with friends and family can play crucial roles in helping us break free from these unhealthy relationship patterns. And as LGBT plus individuals, I, again, and I've done this before in other episodes, I cannot recommend enough the chosen family of LGBT plus allies and friends and family that we have in our sphere. They will understand you more because they have actually had to cut through, you know, all of the heterosexual assumptions when you try and read something about this, when you try and research something about this. When you have to go for therapy and you have to think to yourself, is this therapist going to be homophobic? Are they going to play down the fact that I'm a man with a man or we are both asexual or I'm a woman with a woman. Are they going to play down the importance or the trauma that I've received because, well, it's not a quote unquote proper relationship. You have to watch out for all of that stuff when you are LGBT plus. You have to make sure that your therapy is trauma informed. Okay, that's a phrase you want to look out for, trauma informed. You also want to make sure that your therapist is either LGBT plus themselves or states on their website that they are an LGBT plus ally or LGBT plus friendly. So all of these things are very important for us. Also, the added kind of layer of LGBT plus people like us who are looking for help. So we're just going to take a quick break now because I know that was a lot of information. And when we come back from the break, 
I'm going to do some journal prompts with you. This week, we are going to be having some choices for journal prompts as well. So I'm going to give you a few choices for that after the break. Welcome back. So now we're going to go into our journal prompt section of this week's podcast episode. And this week, um, the journal prompts are all based around childhood trauma. So there are going to be six of them. And I'm going to just sort of read them out one by one. And what you might need to do is if you hear something that piques your interest, you might need to kind of just stop and rewind and just go over the instructions for that one. You might want to do all six of them, which is obviously completely fine. You might want to do two or three or just one, which is absolutely fine too. So choice is inherent in this exercise, okay? Because that's also important that we have a choice. So take some time to explore and write about your experiences and feelings related to the childhood trauma that you may have experienced and being in a narcissistic or toxic relationship. So these journal prompts are designed to help you delve into your emotions, your memories, your thoughts, surrounding all of these complex and impactful experiences that you may have had. So you can use this opportunity to gain insight, to heal, and to better understand yourself going forward. And again, this is why I asked us to do the one word feeling check at the beginning, just to kind of get on board with yourself. So the first one is acknowledging childhood trauma. So this would be journal entry number one, if you wanted to choose this one. This would be, begin by reflecting on any childhood traumas or challenging experiences you may have faced. Consider how these events may have influenced your beliefs, behaviors, and relationships throughout your life. So that was number one. Number two, if you'd like to choose a a slightly different one, is recognizing patterns. So in this one, I want you to think about the narcissistic relationship you have experienced or are experiencing. What are or were the signs that indicated the relationship is narcissistic in nature? How did this relationship trigger or amplify the effects of your childhood trauma? So write about any patterns you notice in your emotions, reactions, choices within this relationship. So is there anything that's kicked up for you? in this relationship that reminds you of what you went through in your childhood. So that was number two. So here's a different one. Number three is impact on self-perception. So in this one, I want you to explore how your childhood trauma and the narcissistic relationship might have shaped your self-perception. Did they contribute to the feelings of low self-worth, self-doubt or mistrust? So try and write about the ways in which these experiences have affected you and how you view yourself. And then number four, coping mechanisms. So consider the coping mechanisms you've developed as a response to your childhood trauma and the narcissistic relationship. How have these coping strategies helped or hindered you in various aspects of your life? Reflect on whether these mechanisms are still serving you well, or if they need to be reevaluated. And number five, healing and growth. So in this one, if you'd like to choose healing and growth, you can reflect on your journey towards healing and growth. So you can ask yourself questions like this. 
What steps have you taken or would you like to take to overcome the impact of childhood trauma and recover from the effects of this narcissistic relationship? So write out those steps. What would you like to do? Write about any positive changes you've noticed in yourself as you work through these experiences. And finally, number six, moving forward. Consider how you want to move forward. What are your hopes for your emotional well-being and future relationships? Write about the intentions you have for yourself as you continue to heal and grow. Notice that I'm emphasizing you and your because that's what's important right now. So please remember that journaling is a personal and introspective activity. So be honest with yourself and allow your thoughts and feelings to flow freely onto those pages. It might be worth giving yourself a timer. So you might remember in our journal entry from last week, it was a a non-dominant hand journal entry. And I said, give yourself five minutes. So you might want to do the same thing. Just give yourself a timer. If you, if the timer goes off and you go beyond it, that's awesome. Um, if you want to stop there, that's great too. And another thing that I'd encourage you to do, which I did last week as well, is when you've done it, read it out loud. Okay. Read it out loud. This is another way of validating, validating it for yourself, which as we said earlier, there's no substitute for that. This process can be cathartic. It can be insightful. It can offer you deeper understanding of your experiences in the path towards your own healing journey. So I hope that this week has given you some insight into uh, childhood trauma, inherited trauma, and we've talked about epigenetics as well. Please note, this podcast is not intended to replace professional therapy or counselling. It serves as a supplementary resource for support and encouragement. Listeners, you are encouraged to seek professional help if needed. I did, and it still works for me every day. Stay tuned, and I look forward to healing with you next time. Bye-bye.